This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, everybody. Today's show is sponsored by Blue Apron for less than $10 per meal. Blue Apron delivers the fresh ingredients you need to create home-cooked meals. Man, check out this week's menu. Just go there and do that. Get your first three meals for free. That's not paying anything, folks, and free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash badchristian. This show is also brought to you today by CISO. This new ad-free streaming service brings users a nearly endless supply of top-shelf comedy. Head over to CISO.com right now to receive your first two months for free by entering promo code BADCHRISTIAN at checkout. That's S-E-E-S-O.com for two months of hilarious comedy for free with promo code BADCHRISTIAN. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. I said a one, two, three, hit it, you, Joey. When you wake up in the morning, all you want is some bad Christian. When you wake up in the morning, all you want is some bad Christian. Big Christian boy. Yes. All right. All right, guys. Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast. That's right. Amen. We're building bridges between the church and assholes. Amen. Amen. Hey, no, honestly, I don't think we build shit on this podcast. I don't think we build bridges. I was on... Tear them down, uh, my friend. What'd you say? We tear them down. Yeah. Well, I was on a podcast. Uh, it's called The Vox Podcast, talking about my book. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about just how people in our space, they're, they're kind of building bridges between the church and people that are a little more progressive. And I'm not even saying this as a badge of honor, like we're too cool for that. We don't build bridges. Like people that are pretty much settled into the church and have their, I don't, I don't think they like us. Like, so you're kind of, if you listen to Bad Christian and you like it, you're like on this island. There's <laughs> have, no bridge. I have a perfect example of that. Uh, yeah. You, y'all remember it's been, what, a month or so ago now when I talked about masculinity in the church and the churches I'd been going to here yep. in Nashville. And uh, apparently, one of the churches that I attended heard some of the disparaging things that I said. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was, One that well, you said fun? bad stuff about or what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think. If I, I mean, I was going to go back and listen. I haven't yet, but I don't remember. Like, just It was just mm-hmm. a, I went to that church, and I was just mentioning it because I had gone to that church. And the church is fine and good, and I'm not even saying that they were terrible. And I might be wrong. You know what I mean? That's okay, but I think they're upset. But the funny thing is, that's where... Our good friend Aaron Lunsford goes to oh, it, so I right. think they're all mad at him for bringing me. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know who I don't know who's mad. At the ch- all I know is that it's kind of, the podcast has been passed around, so I don't know if they're happy with me or not. So I don't know if I can go back to their That's church. Very every, funny. I, maybe I can, but it's just I feel it's so, very funny because Aaron's like, "What did I do? <laughs> you, all he did Aaron, was bring somebody to church, which is the number one thing you're supposed to do." And then the person you brought to church went and talked shit about the church to tens of thousands of people online. What is he supposed to do? All he did was bring a friend. It could have gone the other way. What what yeah, transpired that Sunday that was want. up to them, and they really must have blown it, right? Because that's what thing, you would want. It, Aaron did, like I said, Aaron didn't tell me that much, but he said <laughs> he, he thought it was just funny because he said, I don't, I'm not on the bad Christian podcast. I don't have anything to do with the bad <laughs> Christian podcast. <laughs> he had to say that. Yeah. No, no, that's what he was, he was just like, I don't, I mean, if, if you know, it's the same as any, what, he any, must, it's like, it's, 
anything, any entertainment thing were to talk bad about a church, he just he's there. He didn't do anything. You know yeah. what I mean? He can't be held responsible for my actions. That is very, so, very anyway. funny because he because he always gets himself into trouble. It's all he ever does. And I this know. time he didn't even do anything. All he did was bring you. And I imagine, <laughs> and here's the thing about that. I would defend I want to defend Aaron and you a little bit here and this podcast because it's not that that what we're it's not that you came on here and trashed somebody that isn't what happened the same as when I talk when I say I talk about my mom on here and then she hears it she hears it like her ears are burning like she was he was talking about me and he said something that wasn't you know even if you say something just casual that's not great about somebody it feels like a lot bigger deal than it is and then when people make a momentum out of it and they probably went back to Aaron like yeah but he Toby said this and that's not true because we also this this and this and that whatever there's probably a million reasons why the things that they think you said there's more to it than that but that's just the weird thing about this kind of communication yeah. and what we do. It's not, you didn't have any, you didn't write down your notebook, trash this church on no, Tuesday no, no, no. night. Of no. course not. You just said, shared some of your experiences and they weren't the normal stilted tone of uh, most media and overly carefully worded things. You just said some stuff from your point of view and uh, you said it yeah, like you and, would say and, to us normally and, and that maybe comes across the way it comes even. across. And you I, may be I mean, wrong. I might even be wrong. I right. mean, that's what, that's the thing I think is just, it's funny is like, I'm just, I'm real. I mean, you can't. You might not like what I say, but I'm. I literally was just telling the truth about an experience I had. That's it. I'm just telling. And right. I would. I would. I would have never said the name of the church. I even clarified that the people are great. The best thing about the church is the people <laughs> and all that stuff. Which I would say about any church. Mm -hmm. The churches that I've worked at, the best thing was the people. Right. The church system is always the weird thing. But it's funny that you bring that up. I I was reading an article and they were saying that in this day and age, people respond so strongly because when you say something. They um, automatically lump you in with that group or this this thing that yes. they think of. Like if That's you were right. to say, like if you said, you know, I don't think Trump's that bad, then they immediately right. think of you as the bad, absolutely well, every bad the thing, thing, thing they've ever seen about Trump. They can't just take it for a minute and go, oh wait, this is Toby just saying something right, right or wrong. It's just a he's person in the category of people yeah. that trash talk this church now. That's the right. category you had to be, and even though that isn't what you were doing, and I would suggest right. it's a real immaturity. Um, on the on a listener's point of view, like to not realize what you're consuming, and it's made worse by the way media is now. And I want people to get this, and this is what I think is important about podcasting itself. Um, if not this podcast, is people aren't used to getting people talk that are in positions to be heard talking normal. Okay, if you watch the nightly news, you'll hear someone talking like this, and they'll be saying this, and this is not the way anybody ever really talks. But we, yet. When we're seeing someone on the screen, we expect them to speak this way. Right. That's not even a yeah. real thing. And so right. we're so used to that. that the, and, and people, they're on stage and being so guarded and perfect and perfected that you don't, it's not, you're not, you're not used to hearing the way a normal person sounds on a broadcast medium. And that's what's so neat well, and special right. about, I, and about think, podcasting. So no, no wonder people freak out about it if you flippantly make a comment that is true to you at that moment. I right. think sometimes don't even realize how refreshed they are, though, when they hear somebody that's not guarded and super articulate. Right. Like, it's like, I don't think this is right, but man, this feels good. It feels this good. That's totally right. different. Yep. Totally. Well, I, I, I want to talk about something else that also seem that, um, you know, I think people are all lumped into the, the same thing, and that's, that's Southern culture. We talked about this a little bit. 
But I don't know with with Devin's mom's funeral recently, with uh, having Buddy Carter and his, you know, everybody hears his southern accent. I guarantee you, they're just making assumptions and everything. I was th- I was telling you guys about this a little while ago about my grandma. I'll tell you something that she said it was so funny. It's like we're sitting there, and I mean, the older you get, the way bigger deal things are. I mean, it's just like an old person, if there's like a dent in their car and they don't know where the dent came from, they can literally talk about that for like two weeks straight. That's what they talk about on the phone. That's what they talk about when you come over to visit. So she literally said, Joey, you know, uh, I need to tell you something. You know, when I, when I go to church, uh, recently there's been this man and he makes a point to talk to me every single time I leave. He waits in one spot, gives me a hug. He's a black man. And he gives, he's a, but he's a nice man. (laughs) He's a nice black man. (laughs) Yeah. And he, and he gives, and he gives me a hug and I'm like sitting there and I'm waiting for something else. But that was it. Like that was her story. I mean, that was, that was her thing. She was just like, there is a black man that That hugs me every single Sunday (laughs) (laughs) and I talk to him and he's nice. Does she say that as like, like a bragging thing? Like she's proud uh, to that she's, she's surprised well, or, 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 yeah, or like it's a bad thing or what? She's shocked. No, well, <laughs> well, she's not, she's not extremely like, she doesn't have a whole lot of expression, but it was definitely in the context of it was something that she thought was neat. And I think also, and this is what I want to get into is like her, her background and how she was brought up. You don't, that's not normal. Like that's totally not normal. It wasn't normal when she was a kid. I don't even think she, she wouldn't admit this, but she didn't even raise my dad to be that way. So now she's in this place in life where it's like, whoa, this is okay. And this is good. It makes me feel Weird. good. And How so obviously she? I want to share it. I want to share this with somebody. She's 93 years old. Okay. So, it, and so to- let me, is this what you're saying? That your grandma's 93 years old. The year is 2016 and she is, and I, I think this is totally interesting. I don't mean this as a joke or anything. She is realizing at 93 in the South in 2016 that black people are okay. Yes, and Which no. I would give her credit for. I mean, I know that sounds terrible, maybe to your point, but wow, good for, good for her, right, is the way I would look at right. that. Right, yes and no. So the reason why I say, so I, I want to wholeheartedly agree with you that there has been major change. I mean, this is a woman, and she doesn't remember this because I, I brought it up to her. She was like, no, I don't recall the story being like this at all. But my dad told me this. And Grandma, I know you're not listening to this podcast, and I, I love you. So I'm gonna, <laughs> this makes her look so bad. But my dad remembers being out in the front yard. He was probably four years old, and he's sitting down, and he's, and he's playing with a neighborhood kid, and it's a black female. They're both about four years old. My dad remembers clearly his mom going out there and saying, no, 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 Virgil, no, no, picks my dad up and says, no, no, we don't do this, brings him inside. So this is this is a lady that when she was in her 20s, she didn't even think it was right for my dad to play with a little black girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how far she's come. Now, here in the year 2016, I think it was four years ago, where I heard her say something about Obama, and she it wasn't mean spirit spirited, you know, it wasn't like in a horrible, but it was still what she said was pretty messed up. She said, I still, ju- I cannot get over that. We have a black president. And it was kind of like <laughs> in a, in, in like a way of, of regret. And, and here's the thing. There's no excuse for that. It's not good. There's nothing good about it, but 
when people in, and I'll just, I'll pick on Matt's neck of the woods, like a lot of the folks that are so progressive and they're just, oh man, they see everybody just, uh, so much tolerance and everything. They would look at my grandma and, oh, and I, yeah. I think a lot of them just roll their eyes and disgust and be just like, oh, that's, that's sure. the problem with the South, man. They're just, yep. oh, they're so, all oh, oh, so horrible. Like they're evil and ignorant. Exactly. My experience is, and I'm not sure, I'm going to let you get back to it, but just to, to color that a little bit, uh, it's here in Seattle. If I even talk about where I'm from, it's the weirdest thing. And I can almost only say it is a very close minded Really, it's a very close-minded opinion that people in the Northwest have about the South. They they've traveled everywhere. They ain't gone to the South. They go to Hawaii. They right. go to China. They've been <laughs> a lot of places. I can almost never meet anybody that's been. Oh, I've been. I've traveled. I've gone to vacation. I've been to the South. So they haven't been there. And then when I tell yeah. them where I'm from, they they give me that. They give me this talking to a lot of times. It's like, yeah, I bet it's kind of crazy there, right? Like as if I was smart enough to leave because I knew. Like I must be, I'm with them, right? Because and back there, it must be some really bad people, right? Like that's the yeah, and 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 that's the tone. It makes me very, very angry when people take that tone. But they often do, like suggesting that it's it is definitely a bad place full of bad people, right? That are racist, yeah, right. And that's yeah, why totally. probably why you came here, and you're not one of them, right? You're here now, right? All right, exactly, that's exactly. The, that's like the, you, that's you got out of there, yeah. you got out of there. In, in fact, I mean, here here's a here's a very classic example. I have. Uh, a great uncle who actually changed his last name to Swenson and uh, he lives in Seattle. And when I lived there, I visited him. He's a bit, he's a professor. He's a big time pot smoker. And he told me, I, I was like, why did you change your name to Swenson? He said, because of your grandfather. And I said, what about my grandpa? He's just like, your grandpa was like a racist. And I heard him say things as a kid messed, messed me up. Hmm. And so I had to change my last name. And I, and I told him, I was just like, I, I was like, you, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, he's like on his deathbed. And I, I just thought this was so cool. Uh, Eric's my cousin's name. After decades of animosity towards my grandpa, even changing his last name. I mean, he, he called my grandma and said, please pass on to your husband that I forgive him and all that stuff. So just a side note, I thought that was really cool. But here, here's, the, here's the issue that I have. And that is, can people not realize that my grandma did not decide you know what? I'm, I'm going to be a little upset about a black president. You know, I'm just going to decide that's something that doesn't sit well with me. Or, you know what? I'm going to decide, man, it's a really big deal that a black guy talks to me after church every Sunday. Like I, I'm going to talk mm -hmm. in that way. No, she's 93 years old. And, and as nasty as racism is, and honestly, the m minorities, so black people specifically, they, they, I mean, it's, it's an understatement to say they got the short end of the stick. I mean, it's just appalling of the stuff that went on in the South. But my grandma, she was a victim too as a kid. Like, it, huh. it's not like she decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a racist. No, she was brought up that way. And so it, it is irritating to me because to me, my grandma's a person. She's someone that I've known my whole life and I've hmm. seen her regularly my whole life. I know her heart. And I also know that, oh yeah, a lot of this shit that she deals with with racism, she was taught it. And she's not going to completely unlearn it all at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I mean, that's tough because if you look at it as an isolated person, or like, what do you think of somebody who? What do you just blank slate? What do you think of somebody who has a hard time with the fact that we have a black president? Right. 
Oh yeah, that, that's that's not good. I mean, that's really right. bad. Like just on paper, what it is. But there has to be some context for it, right? And and the only way I can say it is, and I don't I don't want to get on the wrong side of this thing, but your grandma or my dad or your dad, who you know, they've changed, or even yeah, I mean, they they've changed. They're more dynamic actors and characters when it comes to race than a 19-year-old recycle freak from Seattle who ha- completely villainizes racism, that person, not very dynamic. It's not like they've assessed things and changed their mind and had an, a bunch of experiences and seen things changed and been flexible. They just yeah. grew up with the right teaching on the matter. Right. And if that person yeah. was born in Alabama in the 40s, they might have been marching against segregation or whatever, standing outside the schoolhouse. Yeah. It is the same personality, born in a different time, and it's not a dynamic character. My dad is. My dad has yeah. come a long way on things that I've heard him probably think or say in his lifetime, or certainly our grandparents. Right, crazy, and and not and not just not just race, but for certain for certainly sexuality as a whole. Uh, tattoos would be one. Tons of stuff where they've they've been very dynamic people who have sustained changed a ton and yeah I, I don't know but on paper still they come up worse than than some other people you're exactly right like i mean i one thing that i think people don't understand is okay first of all the funniest thing to me is when i hear about it, like i moved to seattle from south carolina i never met any black people there there were there were <laughs> hardly any black people i was like i felt weird about it i grew up my high school was 50 60 percent black people right I mean, it was just it it was just every day all my life. Now let me let me take it a step further and show you what I grew up with. My grandparents were pastor and pastor's wife. When I was a kid, my grandma used to sing this song to me. She sang the song when I would go to bed at her house, and she was putting us to bed. She I was her oldest uh, grandbaby, and she mm-hmm. loved me so much. She'd sing this song, and this is true. Not making this up at all. She sang, "Toby Coker ain't no good. Kissed a nigger with a piece of wood." And I didn't, I just thought it was a song. I didn't even think, wow. I, like, I was four, five, six years old. That's intense. Sang that song to me. And, and so then I remember, I remember being in my. Yeah, your grandma is shitty. Yeah, your grandma's Mine's different not. than Joey's. I remember being in my 20s. Hold on. <laughs> I, yeah. I remember being in my 20s. And I remember being Damn. in my 20s. And that song popped in my head. And I went, oh, what? Did, you know what? I realized what it means to kiss somebody with a piece of wood. Yeah. Like that means to hit them with a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. didn't realize. Now, here's the other thing. Also, never the want, N word okay, uh, was in a song. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I, exactly. That's what I'm saying. But how about this? Now, she grew up with a family from South Carolina and Georgia that extremely racist, right? Or right, like bias and stuff like that. Now, I never, ever saw my grandmother. Uh, be rude or hateful or mean towards any other race. In fact, I saw her be very kind to most races always. But what I think we're also what we need to address here too is, and I thought uh, our pastor at our church, Stan Mitchell, made a really good point. We are moving past the days of uh, the thing that I dislike is when people think of it like KKK. That that's uh-huh. the silly racism that yep. I, everybody goes. Oh, come on, a- anybody? There there are mm-hmm. people who are racist that think KKK and that stuff's just ridiculous, right? What we do have is a real bias problem, I think, and that's that's what Stan said. Like that that's a real thing where uh, it, and that definitely does affect. Like our grandparents are in their you know seventies and eighties. They're not they're not going to really influence much culture or anything with their racism, but that passed down bias can really affect people getting jobs. It can affect people going to jail 
for the color oh, scheme. Yeah. It can it can it can affect you know where they are at in society, economically, in entertainment, in, in industry, whatever you want to do. Those are the real things that I think are very prevalent under skin, and that goes everywhere. That's in Seattle. Oh, that's yep. in New York. That's in South Carolina. It's in Nashville. Those are real things that I think we all experience. Yeah. Like, I, like yeah. that that even happens now with us, us three, and we don't oh. even realize it. And that that is the thing I think that really must be addressed. That is the underlying thing that keeps people, you know, I, I I think you could even make definitely make a case for this too with sexism or whatever. It's not I don't think of myself as a sexist or any you know, would be rude to women or vulgar or mean or hateful intentionally um but there might be some bias i mean we have a mostly male guests on here i always think about let me even on our podcast why do we always end up with males let me explain just how complex it is in the south especially i would say that the complexity took on a different form like 30 years ago so there was a black maid named martha and she would come to my mom's house when she was a kid uh, two or three times a week, clean their house and everything. She was a dear friend of the family. Martha loved uh, the Craven family. They loved her. But one time, my mom was chasing her brother around the house because he took something from her, and she called him the N-word. My mom did, you know, probably in high school or something. Didn't realize Martha was in the same room. My mom literally cried. She felt so bad. Like, it was so hurtful. And yet, my mom use that word as like a derogatory remark towards her brother. And it's like there was an understanding, too, because Martha held no grudge towards my mom. I mean, it's just it's the it's just a it's. Yeah, I, I think people that are not from the South, they they just don't get how complex it is on both sides of the coin. I mean, how in the world was Martha not just completely offended? I think because she had a little uh, more thorough of an understanding of sad, what everybody's really dealing with, even white yeah, people. That's really sad. Well, I think she, I think she understood. Oh, my mom is is a high schooler. That sucks. Like that's horrible. But it's not like she just woke up one day and said, "Yeah, I'm going to be a racism and call people that." I mean, well, it's hard when you just think about kids and upbringing. Like it, it just, it's just not fair if you grow up in a world that that teaches you that. That that right. that that, that right. the N word is a is just a thing you use. It's just weird. I mean, I, I think of I mean, even in the eighties, growing up for for me, I, there's at least three or four phrases that contained the N word for rules of kickball or things we did. It was just weird. I mean, it was just there. And well, Brazil nuts. What did y'all call those? I mean, did, did yeah, your that, parents, Brazil yeah. nuts. There's kickball rules. There's way that people did. There's, I can think of three or four phrases. That that the primary use of them that I didn't know any other term other than some term that included the N word and that's the culture right, that yeah. even I grew up in in the eighties right and so you have to you do have to I mean I, I you have to account for that somehow that your that, that kids growing up in that or train that it's really weird you're not saying give anybody a, a break. <laughs> I don't no. know what to say about no, it no hold on we're not saying it's okay to do racism what my grandma said wasn't right nobody agrees with that now what you have to realize is how prevalent that was in her youth mm -hmm. that she didn't make up that song. Somebody sang that song to her when she was a kid. Somebody sang that song to them when they were a kid or whatever. So it, that deep rooted bias and racism is there no matter what. And it's hard to get away from now what we're experiencing. And which is really awesome is we're getting to see it more clearly. Now we're, wait a minute, we can't, what, what are we doing here? What does this actually mean? But I, I, on a, a side note, a funny story is years later, I was in elementary school and I can remember being at the front of the class. And my teacher was named Miss Brown, and she was a, just a super sweet black lady. 
and I can remember uh, we we were doing geography or whatever, and uh, I my she was pointing to places we were supposed to remember on the map, and I was standing in the whole front of the whole class, and we got to and we were in Africa, <laughs> we got to Niger. And I did not, oh. I did not know <laughs> the word was Niger. I, I promise you, I forget what grade it was. Very early grade, like second, third, fourth. And I was just, I was like, I have to say it. I don't, you, I don't, you I don't thought your teacher was I, prompting you yeah. to say the N word in front thought, of the class. I, I, know, I thought, no, I said, please God. I, I literally remember going, Lord, please help me. I, I was just a little kid. I was like, I can't say this in front of like 25 little kids. No, Lord. And I promise as it was my turn. She goes, Toby, what is the, and I went, and it came to me, Niger. And I went, Niger. And it was the biggest relief I've ever had in my life. I promise you. I just didn't know because I'd never heard that. I heard the other word a bunch. Never heard Niger. You know, and somehow it can't, maybe I'd heard it once and it somehow popped into my memory. But I can remember that. But what I think that's that's the thing we have to realize is if like that idea on the on the and we're just calling out Seattle people. I know tons of Seattle people that that's are a great. good example we're, we're, to make. Yeah, we're general generalizing here. But that that side of it's just wrong end it now doesn't help the people understand who's had years and years of that on, on every side you know what i mean like it, it just mm -hmm. it does you have to explain it in a way where you're like wait a minute like your grandmother had been joey had been told her whole life you got to stay away from black people and then she finally gets to experience wait a minute black people are really nice they come up and hug you and pray for it what i that's crazy. <laughs> the same way as I was told, you can't drink. Women don't cut their hair. The church I grew up in, you didn't wear makeup. Women didn't wear makeup. No rings. My parents didn't have wedding rings. I told all this stuff, and then I had, then I saw people doing it. I was like, those are great people. Mm -hmm, Wait a yeah. minute. And, and and now I'm 40, still trying to get some of that stuff out of me about church. Yeah. yeah. So like, what's right and wrong? So let's take a break here, and we'll have Derek Miner join us. But um, I want you to picture this, Toby and Joey. When you're 93 years old. Somebody comes in there, and I'm going to come visit you in the old folks' home. I'll still be living at home. Y'all will be in the old folks' home. Right. I'm going to love gay people by then. And you're going to come in there, and you're going to say, you know what? Gamecock football is not so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> they're nope. actually okay. Nope. I mean, they're a decent it's, team. I hey, kind of like uh, them. My <laughs> grandkids. My grandkids will get there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If I ever do that, the next day you'll see me hanging. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. You know what? We've talked about Blue Apron a whole lot, and you've heard all the stuff as far as how awesome it is to cook at home and how wonderful the food is. I want to give you kind of another angle of Blue Apron, which is really cool. This is like a huge outfit here, Blue Apron. It's like a, it really is a movement, the impact they're having on the community. They've actually established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. For those of you that have never heard of Blue Apron, this is basically an opportunity for you to get unbelievable meals with completely, oh my gosh, wholesome ingredients in the mail, make your own uh, meals here. So beef, chicken, pork is coming from responsibly raised animals. Regenerative uh, farming practices are used for produce. And so there's actually a huge impact on the community. How about households? Cooking together builds strong family bonds. Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often than the regular family. And then lastly, those who spend a lot of time eating from high-end grocery store chains can now spend under $10 per person for delicious meals. So here's the thing, man. It's uh, Blue Apron. It's You can't pass up trying. 
the flexibility, man. You can customize the recipes each week based on your preferences, or maybe you have some dietary restrictions. It's easy. Like each meal, each meal comes with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe cards and pre-portioned ingredients. It can be prepared 40 minutes or less. I mean, just listen. October, here's a couple things that people were eating while you were being a dummy. Uh, roasted pork steamed buns with Black garlic mayonnaise and spicy cabbage slaw. I've had that one. That's unbelievable. Seared salmon and fall vegetable hash with apple brown butter dressing. It's just, you can't pass this up. Here, here's the deal. Go to blueapron.com slash badchristian and get the first three meals for free. Awesome. And they're not locking you in to where you have to pay two months of... You, if I mean, if you're like, yeah, that, that was great. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to tell you, if you do it, you get three meals for free regardless, but you want you're gonna want to stay with it. So, uh, blueapron.com slash bad Christian. It's a better way to cook. Tastes great. Create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron right now. Don't wait. Don't be a dummy. What is the best thing that you've ever bought for three ninety nine? Can y'all remember that? Um, uh, something at Taco Bell for sure. Well. I have one better. I'm going to up one up you last way longer than Taco Bell. It doesn't hurt your stomach at all. And I'm talking about CISO. What's so cool about this is here's what I'm realizing more and more. In this day and age, you just don't have time to find great entertainment, right? And I like y'all, you guys know I'm doing uh, the Unstoppable Badass podcast. I love comedy. CISO find you the best comedy it basically like curates all these great mm-hmm. comedy stand up they have original shows you get to watch shows that you love like 30 rock or parks and rec there's all kinds of shows on there and they have a lot of original stuff too but it's just so cool it's literally like months of exclusive originals and just stand-up comedy and they have the late night shows it's just a great catalog of classics and everything else it's just so awesome i love it that like one of my favorite shows on there i'm a huge paul f Tompkins fan and they have bajillion dollar properties jess and i've been watching it is so hilarious it's basically like a uh uh, off take on like we we always watch like HGTV and stuff, so it's like this house, you know, real estate company uh, mockumentary kind of thing, and it is just hilarious. They've got every episode of SNL of for all of them, yeah, forever. So you can find the Chris Farley, every all, Eddie Murphy, anything you want, right, all the way back to that catalog. Yep, CISO, it's it's basically your comedy. You get your comedy the way that you want it and see so is the place for comedy which i think is really cool like i said they curate stuff for you You, they find all this great comedy you don't have to spend time well is this going to be good is it i mean it's all good that's what i think so fun about it um so CISO is spelled s-e-e-s-o and it is a new ad-free streaming service bringing you hilarious original series and hand-picked classics every episode like you said matt of snl all this great stuff a lot of british comedy a bunch of different stuff, and you can find a really good stand-up comedy. I was, I was watching the Doug Stanhope comedy, which is just hilarious. So all of our listeners right now can try CISO for free for two months when you use the promo code BADCHRISTIAN at checkout. Shows you can't get anywhere else from critically acclaimed original series like Take My Wife and Harmon Quest to all the 40-plus years of Saturday Night Live. Dang. I mean, that is so – I love getting to go back and watch the Chris Farley skits. Who Chris Farley, all-time favorite person. After two months, it's three ninety nine. Yeah. I mean, Amazing. it's unbelievable. It, it's just great. So all, the, all this great content, they're finding it for you, putting it together. It's just Amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's ad-free. What are you waiting for? Go to CISO.com. That's S-E-E-S-O. Use the promo code BADCHRISTIAN at checkout, and you can get two free months. It's amazing. Awesome. Now, 
Last thing I want to do, first of all, thank you so much uh, for supporting our sponsors. We do have them because you continue to support them and, and you guys use our promo code and you check these sponsors out and they tell us and you tell us great stuff. One of the coolest ones is our favorite record label out there other than the one that we run, and that's Tooth & Nail. So Tooth & Nail has a new band called Civilian. This band is good. I kind of have a feel for these kinds of things when the label thinks something's going to be the next big thing. I do, feel man. that energy. I know a lot of the people at the label see them hang out, and you just get this uh, feeling when they when there's something big brewing. I think Civilian is it. They're a new band on Tooth & Nail. This band is from Nashville, um, and they've got a yeah. de- their debut album uh, with Tooth & Nail. is called You Wouldn't Believe what privilege costs and it's available right now so let's listen to the song i'll tell you some more about them this song is called skulls you hang like a ghost in the foreground All right, now that is that is good stuff. I know you're hearing that for the first time. Uh, there's a lot more detail. There's a lot of detail in that music. I'm really enjoying the guitar parts, just sitting there right there off the top of my head. Those guitar parts, good stuff. And I'm a guitar player, so yeah. I, w- I wouldn't know. But anyway, you can see them play another song, a really cool one called Cut and Run. It's on the Tooth and Nail YouTube channel right now. Uh, you can, They have a music video for that song, Skulls, that you just heard. And you can go check out their previous album, and it's called should this noose unloosen? So again, this is a band you're gonna want to be one of the first people to know about, and it's uh they're called Civilian. So go check out. You wouldn't believe what privilege costs right damn now. Do it right now. You'll love this band. Go to the nail doc. I'm not even gonna tell you how to find them. Their band's called Civilian. You can find them on Facebook, Google, whatever yeah, it is. Dumbasses. That's all you need to know is there's a new hot band called Civilian. So thank you, Tooth and Nail, and thank you, Civilian. Okay, roll a Derek Minor song. I'll ring him, ring him on on Skype. Let's hop on the plane, babe. You don't need money. Overseas, out of space, you don't need money. Passport, look tattoo, yeah, you know how we do. But I feel like I'm home, babe. Long as I'm with you, yeah. Ride, ride, riding in the old school. Old school. Let the seas look like tofu. tofu. Girl, you know I need you like O2. O2. Yeah, girl, you know I need you like O2. Like I've been rising to the top right now, but from day one you've been down. Yeah, you've been down. Finally got things right right now. I can show you what the life like now. Decapitate the roof on the coupe like Emma. Derek, what's going on, buddy? All right. All right. Think we're on the loop. Can you hear us? Okay, I hear some feedback coming back through there though. That's because I still got that Facebook. Thing, right. Oh, because you watch us on Facebook Live. So that means you listen to the first 30 minutes of our show. I'm embarrassed about. 
Is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you got a nice studio, it looks like. Is that, a, yeah, is that your great. studio that you own? Is that at your place or what? Yeah, this at the small little situation right here, you know? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Is that your space? Is that your house or is it somewhere else? No, nah, it's at my crib. That's great. Derek, this this new album, it really is, uh, it's it's just pretty unbelievable. I, I mean, it's one of those that I just can't stop listening to. And that doesn't happen that often for me nowadays. I think the music industry, everything's so accessible. You don't get locked into an album, like, or I don't like I used to. And you're, it's just like I had the hardest time pulling out a clip of what I wanted to, to play before you came in because there's just so much stuff. Like, here's the thing is, I think that there's there's rappers out there and then there's composers. And this album, you, I mean, you're a composer. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. I, I just, I don't even want to try to describe it. I just want people to seriously check it out, uh, listen to it on Amazon, go to Spotify, and then eventually buy the thing. But I, I did, since I have three musicians here and uh, guys that are in the music ministry, I, I got a kick out of it of hearing, of, of reading some of the iTunes things that people were saying so obviously the vast majority of people are just oohing and on over the music but you've got one person that said hey man why are you talking so much about the haters why can't you just stop talking about them and just give glory to your lord and savior jesus christ and i want to ask you guys does that ever get old does a person not feel stupid to actually go to the artist that created stuff and said hey i know better than you do about what you just created like, does that ever get old to you guys? That's the culture we live in, right? Like, you know, you don't have to be an expert to have a voice. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's in anything. I mean, people feel like they can run the country better. Mm-hmm. You know, if people feel like they know what to do better with Twitter and Facebook, you know, whatever, man. Yeah, and the thing is, too, in a sense, I think we're a better. I mean, we're we make better products because so many people have great opinions. But there's, you know, a lot of people's opinions are trash. <laughs> so, you know, like, I, I think you just gotta, you gotta be okay with, you gotta be okay with the good and the bad of that, you know? So, I, I mean, somebody, a comment like that, I don't give it much credence because I just write music from the heart. So you critiquing the content of my music, like, if that's where I was when I was writing the music. Like, you can't, like, I don't really care what you feel. Like, I'm just like, hey, then don't buy the album. Don't listen to it. Like, that, I mean, I'm not holding you by your neck telling you to buy my album. Like, it's your choice. <laughs> Spend your 10 bucks or not, you know? Do you think some people would have the opposite reaction? Like, Toby, was there ever a time early on in the stages of writing Emory stuff to where if somebody critiqued it negatively, you'd be like, man, this is this is me you're attacking, and that felt worse? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm not as diplomatic as Derek. I always get pissed off. I try, I tell people, yeah, don't, don't get mad at people, but I don't write. Like I had this conversation with Aaron Lunsford when, uh, as his burn broke up or whatever, he wrote some stuff and people started writing him, getting on. And I was like, Aaron, you just got to let it go. Those people don't know what they're talking about. You know, the whole situation. <laughs> and then like a week later, people are writing about unstoppable badass, my podcast. And I immediately get online. Oh, really? Oh, why don't you have your own podcast? Why don't you, you know, and I get really mad. So I can't let it go, but it is funny. Like that, that person would comment about the haters, but all they were doing was actually doing exactly what you were talking yeah. about. <laughs> well, th- you got a better chance of like a, everybody believes that they're that they're important or a special Crazy. snowflake or a star, and to to be the one 
you're more likely to get noticed or be discussed on this podcast. I mean, there was a bunch of comments that you didn't bring up on this show tonight about Derek, right? That guy got noticed. So, the, you know. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, too, this is my sixth album. So, I mean, I, I've had so many comments over my life. Like, you know, when I first started doing music, the comments just, like, they just weighed on me. Like, I got to, if a dude was to say that, I'd be like, man, I can't write a song with the word haters for five years. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. back when I first started. But now I'm just like, people going to have opinions. Opinions is like, you know, I mean, everyone has an opinion, you know. Yeah. So I don't necessarily trip off of that. And then, too, a, a great, that's a great point, man. Like, I'd rather give credence to the people that really rock with me than the people that, you know, just trolling on my page. Like, I'm like, man, I, well, I'm, why would I care about what a troll thinks? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. at the end of the day, like, I'd rather, you know, the, there's people that, like, buy every album or whatever. So, like, now, if the people that buy every album and then they say, man, I don't know if I'm rocking with this, then I'm going to think about that because I'm like, they've been rocking with me for the longest. But some random troll on my iTunes page or just somebody that's just mad, like, I'd rather just pay attention to the, I got, you know, five stars and, all like, 55 star comments. I'd rather pay attention to them. Right. The one guy that's like, hey, man, why don't you turn the bass up? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, too. You, well, you made a good point, too. I mean, it's not like you're forcing anybody to listen to your music. You just created something and put it out there. So I would, when anybody creates something else, if I don't like it, I just go, okay, I don't like it. I'm going to move on. But it's crazy. Like I've been saying, I don't know if y'all are Walking Dead fans or not. Everybody's super mad about how gory it was, th- this new episode. And I was just like, you didn't have to watch it. And it's a zombie show where, where <laughs> dead people eat people. Show. And you're really, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And I'm one like, too many it? damn zombies for me. Right. Like, like and the then there's also, there's a, I don't know if you saw this post, but there's a, uh, they actually did the psychology of a troll. And it's like, there's like a, it's like literally like a mental, like there's like a, there's an illness there where people feel like, they have to either get attention mm-hmm. from oh, social wow. media stuff oh, or wow. they don't have yeah. the, the um, for some people, it's not everyone that leaves a bad comment, but for some people that are like legitimate trolls, like they literally have like a, something in them that says, I can't not say something bad about this person. Yeah. Like wow. I have to, it's something that drives them. I wish I had the link to it, but uh, actually someone who's on this podcast a lot prop. Send it to me. And we were just like, man, this makes total sense. Like some people, like they feel like they have to say negative things about people. And it's like, mm-hmm. man, I'm not trying to have none of that in my life. Like I've just got to the point where I just block trolls, bro. Like, and I do it in such a fashionable way. Like I'm like, I'll find a cool little gift with somebody getting like blocked. And I'm like, boop, 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 blocked. And it's just, <laughs> and you send it on your way That's to good. go around someone else you know well that song well, sounded album, great that came that was yeah, yeah that. i was gonna do the same thing joey it was the album is called reflection it's out now that song was that we played coming into that is called love go high and it really is good and i wanted to tell you that that uh song you did with the video with the chains and that that yeah. whole thing i don't remember the name of that but i really was digging that when when i think it was right after last time you came on or on joey's show but i, I really like that one a lot too Thank you, Army. I appreciate that. How'd you get connected with, uh, I know a lot of people probably haven't heard, unless you're uh, really into the R&B scene, BJ, the Chicago kid. I mean, he's worked with Kendrick Lamar and Kanye West. And how'd you make that connection? That song's unbelievable. I love that dude's voice. 
and you can sing too, man. Good Lord. We, you know, we, Eric we, Miner's we, got some vocals, man. <laughs> expand the situation, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, nah, man, it's real simple, man. Like, I was really, I didn't want to have any features on the album at first. Yeah. Do an album that I was going to totally produce the whole thing, no features. And I, and I think just as I was working through the project, I just was like, man, this hook, I wrote it and I was like, ah, uh, I feel like there could be a better voice. So we kind of was brainstorming, like, yo, what would it look like to get BJ the Chicago kid on this joint? And I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. So we sent it off to his management. Management was like, we love it. BJ was like, I love it. Sent the verse, I mean, sent the hook back the next day. And I mean, history was made. So it was a beautiful thing. That's awesome. That's cool. So yeah. let me ask you, Derek, do you get this a lot? And I, I really do apologize if if you come in on our show tonight or if you get this a lot. Do you wind up being or do you feel like you wind up being the uh the token black guy that people want to bounce ideas off of? Because maybe that's what we're doing tonight. But does that happen to you a lot where because I really understand the, the the mindset that says it's not your job to educate people like us on racism and issues and stuff that we were talking about before. I know that you probably were watching yeah. the stuff that we were saying before and some of it thinking about even you listening to us talk about that is embarrassing to me. I don't know what else yeah. to do other than to ask somebody that I respect that maybe has a little bit of respect for us. Um, yeah. But also I've heard people say, Hey man, that's not my job to, to weigh in or help you figure this shit out. But how do you take that whole thing? I'm serious. I, and I understand that point of view very much. I'm just wondering, do people ask like, you to be that guy a lot, the, the black ambassador to white people like us trying to figure shit out? If that's only what you ask me, then I'm going to be frustrated. But, I mean, I feel like to a degree, like, if I want to know more about, you know, my wife's feelings, I'm not going to go think them and create it in my own head mm -hmm. what I think she wants. I'm going to ask her. Like, hey, what does this look like? Now, obviously, we're talking about a whole culture here, and we're a diverse group of people. So to me, I don't necessarily take offense to someone asking a question. Mm -hmm. like, I, I don't feel like it's my job. Like, when you, if you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, I don't feel like it's my job okay. to help you wrestle with the truth. Like, I don't feel like it's my job to let that truth soak in. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you ask me, hey, is this racist? And I say yes. And then you walk off and say, man, that dude know what he's talking about. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, you know, I can't really, I can't really, like, to me, then my job is done. But, you know, if someone asks me a question, whether it's race or if it's about the gospel, man, if it's about mm -hmm. sports, whatever, I'm going to just give my opinion. Or, you know, if, you know, I'm going to try to tell the truth to the best way I can. And then that's on you to, to do what you got to do. Now, like, when I present facts, like, I don't think it's my job to convince you that racism exists. Like, that's clear. Like, if you don't, if you live in 2016 and and you're looking around and you don't see that racism exists, then there ain't really nothing I could help you with. Like, yeah. but if you want to know more about how can I unpack, you know, how can I better, you know, deal with, you know, people, you know, black people, how can I better, uh, you know, look at, you know, my life and kind of show me my blind spots. Like, as a brother, I feel like I'm legit obligated to do that in yeah. a sense. Like, I'm your brother. Like, if I love you, I'm not going to let you sit there and be a racist dummy mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. Well, how did that strike you the first half of this podcast? Did it did, does it sound like we're just apologizing and saying, way, man, we, uh, we're uh, us Southerners are racist, but give us a break. Don't be so hard on us. Is that how that comes I, across I, or what? Man, these boys grew up in a racist 
them some great race. Hey, shoot. <laughs> I was like, like, I think I've never had it. I've never seen people be that because it like racism is embarrassing. So you mm-hmm. rarely see people say, yo, my, my grandmother sent me a, a, a nigger lullaby. Like, I've never heard anybody say I think there's more people that say it. It's just embarrassing to say out loud. And I get I, I actually credit Toby for saying that his grandma said that. Yeah. I, I don't know uh, if that plays yeah. poorly or sounds bad, but in my opinion, well, thank you, Toby, for saying that telling I, the truth on that. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta respect the fact that a man would say, yo, this was my upbringing. And I feel like, to be honest, I feel like if more white people for sh- would do that, then we could really get to the the, the nitty gritty because I feel like when you're talking about race, oftentimes white people are like, I'm not racist, you know, or I've never, you know, I'm appalled by racism. And I think in many people's hearts, they're appalled by racism, but it's like, what exactly is the extent of your racist upbringing? Mm-hmm. Like, most people think, when, like, you said something earlier, like, we talk about racism in the sense of the Ku Klux Klan. I'm like, that's like fringe weirdos out on the corner of culture, like mm-hmm. that, that have zero influence that has, or have very little influence. So I'm like, I'm not worried about that guy. I'm worried about the guy from South Carolina that uh, mom sung him smack a nigger in the head lullaby. <laughs> right. A kid yeah. that's in that that is the uh, manager of a, a a job that my son is applying to, yeah. or is right. his college professor, or is a police officer. That's yeah. the guy I'm worried about because, you know, he's uh, he's not walking around wearing I'm a racist. He probably may not even know he's a racist. Right. That's just normal life to him. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that scare me the most and the same for any other culture, you know. So let's say you walk. Let's say you you uh, take a visit to Charleston. You walk into my grandma's house. And I mean, obviously, she's going to greet you warmly. Um, but you can tell, whoa, this is a big deal. Like Joey brought a, a black male to my house and they're friends too and you can just tell it's not natural for her but she's hospitable she's going to offer you something to drink uh like how do you think you process that no it's and let's say you have the backdrop that that i gave on the podcast a, a backdrop information of things that she did with my dad and all that sort of thing like what what do you think of her as a person like interacting with her sitting at her table knowing what she's probably thinking, just like, man, this is a really big deal. It's a black guy. Man. Yeah, you know what? You know what's funny? I think for white people, that's abnormal. For black people, that's just every day. Like, we're constantly running into white people that don't like us because of our color or would rather not be around us or are... So we're constantly having to navigate that. So you were telling the story about the, the black maid, and I think your mom call your brother a nigger and and uh you and she was devastated by that and you were it was it was almost like dang how could that black lady you were like man that black lady got it better than us no that black lady probably had to forgive because that's her job right. like what can she wow, do sad yeah like right. well, so that's her job like it's like that right. she may not have got it she may have she may have uh Pissed in her coffee every morning. We don't know. Yeah. Oh, no, you don't know. Yeah. Like, she says, but that's her job. So she can't be like, oh, no, 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 I'll quit. Like, especially right. during that era. No, mm-hmm. man. Like, so I think for us, oftentimes, we're just forced to eat crow frequently because it's just like, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, someone else holds all the cards. So you can't just be like, you know what? Rise up because yeah. you get fired. And then you're not going to be, 
Now you're going to be offended without a job. You're just not going to be offended. Yeah. With racism being as big of a problem as it is and as disgusting as it is, is there any value in in what we're saying as far as almost like being a voice for the South saying, hey, there's more to the story than just our asshole racist grandparents. Like, hey, let's think big picture here. Like, it's not like as a kid they decided what family they were going to grow up in, what what place in America they're going to grow in grow up in you know it's not like my dad decided as a four-year-old kid that his mom was going to pick him up and say no you don't play with little black girls right. I, mean, I mean is there any value for people around the country to be like oh wait a second now there's more to the story it's, it, it doesn't give anybody an excuse right but but we gotta we gotta take other things yeah do you have any sympathy for joey's dad or grandma there uh absolutely you know I, i've said that before um we're both the, the thing with sin is we're both victims. Cause at the end of the day, you gotta think mm-hmm. in this sense now, now I'm, I'm probably about to go off on a tangent, but you gotta walk me through this. Go for it. Like the thing with sin is it, it, it affects us both. You know, it affects the oppressor and it affects the oppressed. In a sense, it affects the oppressed in obvious ways because the oppressed feel the, 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 the brunt and the force. It affects the oppressor because you wind up being a narrow-minded individual that don't get that that never gets to experience the beauty of all of God's creation. Black people bring amazing gifts and talents to the table. Black people are um, Hispanics, Asians. God has gifted us all in different ways, gifted people just in general. So, but when your little narrow mind only lets you see one person is valuable, or one type of person is valuable, you wind up being a one-dimensional person. Like, and so so it really affects you as well. So I feel sympathy in that sense. That's like, right. man, you don't necessarily get to experience the beauty of all of God's creation. So if I were to become a big, terrible, like get indoctrinated and become a super racist, my life, it would be bad for me too. Like that would be really sad. It'd be like a, the, you know, Lord of the Rings, the, the Gollum or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. you miss out. You miss out too. Yeah. You miss you out the something. beauty of all of God's mm-hmm. creation. Like what God is like what is God has made for you to be able to to experience and enjoy, you are literally cursing that, and and that and filled really with hate. That's a bad state to be in. It, yeah, puts you at a deficit. But the thing that I would say, so I do feel bad in that sense, but at the same time, I also am like, yo, you kind of know that it's not a good thing to hate people because of their color. So you kind of got to get over that. Like that's just one of them things where it's like. Like at this stage, like I don't necessarily for someone that's trying, like there's tons of grace there. But if you're not trying and it's like you don't care, you just like, man, this is where it's been forever. It's where I'm going to die. Like yeah. I can't like I don't really have a lot for you because you've already made the decision. You're like, I want to be in sin. I want to be one dimensional and I don't care. Now all that's left for me to do is just pray for you that God delivers you from your folly like that's all that's all that's left because i there's literally nothing i can do you know you've made your decision that i would rather i would rather ignore what god is saying and i would just rather be what i'm going to be and 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 the thing is that's that's the standard for everything that's for anyone that wants to just be like this is who i am you know i mean we can use that standard for anything all i can do is love you where you're at pray for you and uh and pray to god that he changes your heart you know and and that's it I think the thing for me is what what we we need to it, it is a lack of education or understanding on all sides and then also I think you're right like we need to 
Oh, like the thing that gets me the most now that I'm seeing even more, cause you're right there. And I'm, I'm glad we're, we're talking about this too. Like that, that bias or whatever that might be like that, like the Ku Klux Klan, most people white, black, Asian, any minority, you know, whatever it might be. Go, oh, Ku Klux Klan. They're stupid. They're a bunch of weirdo rednecks or whatever. They're, you know, they're dumb. You're right. But that it is true. Like that idea seeps into people's head and then you, you know, you don't get the job because of the color of your skin or, you know, this happens and people automatically assume, oh, well, they're just, uh, they definitely are abusing welfare or they're definitely not, they, you know, they're, they're just using the system or man, if they worked harder, they would be where I'm at. And, and like, I've heard so many people say that that's the thing that where I'm realizing more and more, our pastor at our church spoke on this and, and I just thought it was really revealing just realizing the bias is there. Like, like yeah. just, I mean, for example, right now, the huge thing is cops and and killing black blacks the idea is there is there is a bias immediately that wait a minute you're dealing with a different person here the color of their skin's brown so we we got to go at this differently like what we we've told a story before where we had alcohol in the car we had been drinking we weren't drunk but we had been drinking had an i think we might even had an open oh, container in the car. We drive, and so a cop two cops pull us over it's like one in the morning pull us over i'm mean to the cop i start talking shit to him and they just let us go and and as soon as after after that you know i i I just realized wait a minute they let us go because we're white and they uh they just maybe boys be boys or whatever and i was like if we were if we were black that would not have happened they would have searched the car they would have found it they would have i mean we we did do something wrong and and we got off and and i i still to this day believe it was because of the color of our skin I do believe if we would if we were black that they wouldn't have treated us that way, and that is a real bias in that moment of I'm not going to give this person a break because of the color of their skin. We got a break because of that, and that's that's the thing I think people don't understand. I, I want I want you to talk about this too. That idea of how do we address that strong bias of I, I see so many Facebook YouTubers all this stuff saying I've been like you said I've been here forever, and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work. If you don't work and you don't do hard, you know that everything's equal, but it's not equal, right, Derek? I mean, it's not. You feel that? I think right now we kind of we kind of in the in the shallow water. Like, I mean, in a sense of this, some of that is not going anywhere. We can talk about it. We can do podcasts about it, albums, songs, whatever. Like, but some like biases are just not going anywhere, and. Really, especially for a person that's not a Christian, there's no incentive to change those things. Mm-hmm. Like, so, especially for, for a Christian, it's like, yo, you got to, like, hey, man, the gospel should be speaking to those areas. You should be renewing your mind with truth and, and, and fighting through that before a non-believer. I mean, I don't, I don't really see, I don't even see where the benefit to not be that type of person will come from to go that deep into the 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 nuances of racism. It's just like, hey, I don't hate black people, but I'd rather not hire this guy. And like there's nothing in you that would say, you know what? There's no Holy Spirit to say that's that's wrong. You know? Yeah. But what I will say is this, here's the big problem, the overarching problem as which some of these things flow is America is a racial caste system. Like it was wow. built from the beginning, built off of breaking the backs of minorities, not just black people, but still in the, you know, if we, and, and I'm not, I don't want to sound like the angry black guy, but let's think, you know, Christopher Columbus comes over here and then 
then rakes the land from Native Americans, puts them on the worst land. But not only that, but, you know, almost made them his slaves in a sense. Like, hey, go find me gold or I'm going to cut your hand off. But what we write in history books is the, the, you know, three boats came over here. Native (laughs) Americans was cool. And then they decided to go to the worst (laughs) land in America. Like, like it's it's like we don't say, man— Europeans came over here and and said we we say we discovered America like no we hostily took it over and stole it from people then yeah. we brought people from a different country and made them build it for free like yeah. like the police were started to catch runaway slaves like that's why you have that's why black people are scared of police and it's passed down from generation to generation mm-hmm. because that was the job, the police job, initial police job was to go catch the police force the way it was designed to go catch runaway slaves, cut their legs off and be an example to the rest of the people. So you got to say some of the nuances of that is going to be passed down or we look at mass incarceration. Like you look at the 13th Amendment, it doesn't say slavery's outlaw. It say you can't be a slave, like you can't make normal people a slave, but if you commit a crime, then you can be put into slavery. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you do? Criminalize black people, and you now you have a new slave force. But it's justified now, because now I can say we're throwing those criminals in prison and making those criminal slaves. But there's no coincidence that black people make about 13% of the population up but they in but they make up 70% of the uh prison population that's no that's not that's by design that was created or you have the black people need to black people need to pick themselves up by them by their bootstraps and 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 accumulate wealth on their own well let's look at black wall street what happened in Tulsa Oklahoma white people came in and burned it down like black wall street in Tulsa Oklahoma every time there's a community of black people coming together and growing and economically flourishing, white people come and tear it down. Or let's think about, um, I mean, I could go on and on. We could talk about the welfare system. Like you say, oh, the problem in America is fatherlessness. So what you're going to say is Mm -hmm. black people just don't want to raise their kids. No. So you have black people that have been, uh, they were slaves. Then they're oppressed during Jim Crow. Then after Jim Crow, then you have housing discrimination where black people. Now, what is the quickest way to accumulate wealth in America is own a house. But for 30 years, black people were prevented from owning owning houses in certain areas. We were relegated to the hood. Mm-hmm. Then you send them to the worst land in the in, in America. And then you say, hey, if you want government assistance, the only way to have government assistance is that a father cannot be in the home. Yeah, I was going to ask: Is there a, is there a place to ever criticize black culture or fatherlessness? I mean, it, tell me a little bit more about that. So I, I'm just not familiar, so I'd be glad to hear it. Yeah, but so, I would. It seems like if there's that many fathers missing, that is going to cause systemic or uh, uh, generational problem. But please tell me what would be a good uh, explanation of of why why that is. So the so the so the question is not is not our fathers missing. The question is, why are the fathers missing in the home? Do you know why? That's the big question. So one, if we look at statistically, right, we look at statistically per capita, and I could send you the data, black men 
today have been performing great within their household. They have been, you know, to spending time with their kids. Like they did the, uh, and this is from, um, uh, what do you call it? The Census Bureau or whatever. Mm-hmm. They said statistically black men have been in their home. That's one thing. Number two, if we're talking about historically, what created this, this narrative of fatherlessness is if we talk about black people been slaves for years. Now, we know during slavery, black people were not allowed to have families. Mm-hmm. We, you know that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. We Not only were we not allowed to have families, but we were treated like breeding instruments. Right. So they had breeding farms where they would take a black man, a stud. That's why I hate when people call me a stud. Don't call me a stud. I'm not an animal. Like, But wow. they, would say, they, they would say, we have a stud, and they would just make them have sex with woman after woman after woman after woman, like an animal, uh-huh. a stud. So you have slavery that, that you create. You have this system. Then... You slavery's over with. Jim Crow, families are coming together a little bit, trying to come together. Then what happens? You got the housing crisis where black people, statistically, you can see it throughout stats. I'm not like I'm not making this up. This is like pure facts. They're not gonna put it in your history book, but if you just do a little research, you can see black people were often discriminated against from owning houses in yeah. wealthier places, regardless right. of how much money they make. Yes, uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. So you send them to the middle of the hood in a place where they can't accumulate wealth because they have the worst land. So then worst land and no reparations. And no jobs probably close by. Absolutely. So uh-huh. now what's happening is if you're talking about a welfare state that was created, it's saying, hey, look, we'll take care of you, the government. But one caveat. You can't have a father in your home. So you're saying that you get welfare more or easier if there isn't a complete household? Not more or easier. If you want welfare, you cannot have a father in the home. Not if this is a suggestion or, hey, if you don't have a father, you get more money. Like, if you want welfare, you have my mom. Me and my mom were just talking about this. She was like, we have family members that the father would have to if the family was going to stay together and they were going to get food stamps or welfare, the father would literally have to leave package stuff up uh-huh. and anyone could drop in on you at any time to make sure there's not a man there in the house. And if there was, you lose your welfare benefits. Not to mention that even right. if it was because of the early, the earlier stuff or all the way back from slavery, it's just not that it just isn't, you know, it's just not in the generational culture of the of the way families would be. It's just not, you know, people are used to grandma and mom. That's just the way what you're used to, and you go with what you know. It, even it's, even if it even if it was not that 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 element's going to be there regardless. It's a system that's created, a system that was that was crafted and created in our culture. Mm-hmm. Like so, then you want to ask why? So for someone to say, well, we need to fix the fatherlessness. And people just on welfare and they need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. I will look at that person and say, you're not educated as to what America has done to create this state. Like what America has done to create this state. The people for a black person to come from the hood and to get a great education when literally like your zip code. That's why I'm part of the expectations project. Your zip code determines what type of resources go to your school. So yeah. all the black people live in this zip code, they get the worst of everything. And then for that person to rise to the top, to be able to go to a respectable college and to get a job on top of dealing with the craziness 
of just living in in poor society, that person is literally like lucky. Like it's not even like it's not normal. That's abnormal. Like you literally say, hey, I want you to build a house with just a shovel. Mm-hmm. So the average person has to be like, all right, well, you need to nail these hammer, these nails. So I'm gonna use the shovel as a hammer. Like they have to take the very small tools and and do exceptional things. And I think some of that now, I mean, obviously, I think there's lazy people everywhere, but to, it's very it's very ignorant and very one dimensional to say, mm-hmm. hey, black people need to just like like what you said. You said that your grandma didn't choose to be um, your grandma didn't choose to be racist. Like I would say it's the same thing for black people. You think black people just sit back like, man, I don't want no job. Right. Job. I don't want to be, I want to be poor. Like, I want to be poor. I want to go to a horrible school. Like, no one chose that. Right. Like, no one chose that. Yeah, I, well, I always thought that was the craziest thing anyway, because, like, I mean, it, slavery was based on we're going to bring this whole race here because they can kick ass at working. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they, like, they, like, literally, like, we, oh, we found the people that can build America and now we now this idea that it we would all be we lazy. I always hated the, that. The laziest right, people. Right, right. <laughs> the, the slave owners didn't choose the laziest. That, that's a big lie. But also, Derek, I, I want to talk about this too. The, the thing that I've been seeing more and more, and we might differ on, on this. I don't know, but I'm just going to put this out there. The biggest thing I see even more is that you're right. Like, okay, they, they're put on the worst land. They can't make any money there. So then you see ingenuity with the only thing they, uh, a big a big thing that you can make money with where you can't make anywhere else is drugs. and oh, that, that So that infiltrates. So you see entrepreneurship and there, and all this stuff. And, and the, I think the drug war is the, is the biggest uh, clear racist thing to me around. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, I think it's so rotten. It's so awful. And, and a clear reason why I would say it, why would, like you said, I, I, I've heard the statistics of, of like, if, if a black man, doesn't graduate high school, it's like a hundred percent chance he goes to jail. Like, <laughs> it, like shit. I mean, like seriously, like at one in, I think it's like one in three or one in four black men will spend some time in prison. Thankfully, Obama just outlawed uh, prisons for profit. I think he's he's outlawed. They're trying to change that. Obama put in a law, but um, but uh, the thing that is really crazy as I see about that is why would there be so many black men in prison for drugs, and it w- why would that not be equal? With because they're selling to somebody, so why would it always be people selling drugs are in jail, but the people that are buying the drugs you don't see that as much? It seems like it would be just as equal. The punishment's not the same. That's kind of strange. Why would that be? Or what you know, what the the person that does the drugs ends up in rehab and gets out in six months, and then you see the black man in there lots of times for like ten years for weed. Here's an even bigger question: How did cocaine from Colombia? How did cocaine from Colombia? get all the way to America with former slaves. How did former slaves get cocaine from? Right. Like, like people that Who were discriminated against during Jim Crow. Like how did people, poor people, get drugs all the way from Columbia, right. Asheville, Tennessee? Right. Like, yeah, into the hood, like, right. That's not that, like, it's, it's, it's a system that some people that are much smarter than us developed to help say it's, it's easy. Hey, you, you make money two ways. Like, I know in the city, I know in a certain city that there was a judge that used to, he'd run people through the system and then all of his drug dealers, he'd throw them right back out on the street. Like, that's what he would do. And he would supply the drugs to them. He'd throw them right back out on the street. Like, 
it's a job. But then what happens is this drug dealer is the guy that's responsible for the drugs, not the guy that's buying the drugs for the poor person. Right. So it's that. Then you got, again, prisons for profit. Now, Obama did outlaw federal prisons for profit, but most prisons for profit are state penitentiary. Oh, I didn't know that. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> Gosh, that sucks. Well, I didn't the know whole that. Th the whole thing really is a mess. I, I don't know. I mean, I, we appreciate you talking to us about it. We got to move on here in a second. I appreciate your time. There's a lot more. We could talk forever. That, that we could do. Yeah, I, I don't even know if there's anything else you want to wrap up or anything else we got. But yeah, this is this is good, Derek. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like this. Like, if we're gonna try to put our time somewhere. Like, again, I can't, I can't, like, trying to change the heart of grandma is, is, that's God's job. Like, I, I can't do that. We can talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think some practical things, if we, if we just leave it on, like, because we can look at the system and say, man, this is overwhelming, right? Um, but I'm saying some practical things I think we could do every day is call out people on their BS. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, for grandma, brother, sister, whoever. Yeah. Like on those biases, point them out and live with the consequences. You know, I think that's what I think that's the least. If we're talking about our white brothers and sisters, that's the least they can do. Yeah, is yeah. Is, 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 is do that. Yeah, I agree. Instead of excuse it, we could say, well, yeah, Grandma, that that's in that's insane that you think it's crazy that we have a black president. Yeah. That mean I don't have to say unfriend you. We're, I'm turning my back and gonna uh, pretend like I'm outraged. You just stay engaged and tell tell the truth about it. It's a good yeah, way to it's, go. And it's, I think it's a thing of like it's I love you, so I want to call you up to who I yep. know you are. Right. You know, not not a hey. Um, you're not on my team anymore. Yeah. yeah, mom, mom, you're, you're, I hate you, mom. Like you were talking about the weird hippie people in Seattle. Like, I don't think, I don't think that helps to be like, oh, you're right. from South Carolina. So you gotta be a racist. Yep. Like, I mean, if I, if we really want this thing to change, like the job is to say, Hey man, one day I was a racist and God changed my heart. You know what I'm saying? I think yeah. that's the, the beautiful thing that we could see happen. Now I think that, but I think in some practical ways, man, it's fighting for change and cleared racial legislation, like getting rid of state private prisons. Like that is crazy. It's like you have made an industry of people. Yep. Like, and that, that is ridiculous. Um, yeah. I think it's that, I think fighting abortion, like, like where are all the abortion clinics? They're in the middle of the projects. Absolutely. That was the design for Planned Parenthood from the beginning. Absolutely, man. Those joints was not, they was not, uh, I don't see, like, Brentwood is the really, really nice area of Nashville. There are no abortion clinics there. Right. <laughs> Nowhere right. to be found. Like, I mean, so abortion, we've got, um, you know, mass incarceration, getting rid of those things. And I think when it comes, I think we need to have better, um, there has to be a way that we have to fix this police officers being able to discharge their weapon, kill someone, and then go on paid leave. Absolutely. Like, that's just, that's discouraging. And especially when I know people that are in the military, they can't even fire a shot without getting permission. But how can, and, and these are people that are like, they're in the, they, you're talking about police are at risk. They're over in another country away from, but there's rules to engagement. And I think they don't have to have rules to engagement with black people because black people are being dominated. Like we get dominated by going to prison or whatever. You have to have rules of engagement overseas, not here. But mm -hmm. there needs to be something that's like, man, you can't just discharge your weapon because you thought something was up. Yeah. But I think I think those are three practical ways, man. Well, guys, I, I wanna I wanna say to everybody, if you want to hear more from Derek Miner, this may sound cheesy, but get the album reflection because a lot of what we talked about 
comes out in his music and it's it's beautiful man i mean it's a really it's a work of art i owe it to joey but i probably just listen to rap music by myself that's probably the number one music i listen to and i i'm, I'm not the authority on it but this is what i've realized a lot of rap albums that i listen to now feels like there's three to five six songs tops that they really went out and they showed out on them and it's rare when you can find an album where you don't take a song off. And that's what I think Reflection is. Like, you didn't take a song off and just put something on there to have a, you know, a tenth song or something like that. Like, you know, you 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 put everything in every single song. And, and I think that's rare in a, in a lot of albums, not just rap music. But I, I definitely think you each song really stands on its own. So I think it's a great yeah. record. Reflection is, is a great record. Derek, I know it's not good for us guys to have privilege, but I count the privilege that we're you know, have the ability to be friends with you and talk to you. And you know what I mean? I really do think it's, yeah. I, I count it yeah. as really a privilege to be able to know you. We have a podcast, people listen to us and we get to hear from you directly in a real way. That really is a privilege, even though I know that's a bad word. Yeah. We appreciate it, man. Likewise, man. Straight up. I love y'all dudes, man. Y'all legit. All Thanks, right. Man. Thank you, Derek. I'm going to drop All you right. off here. Good and we'll, talking we'll to you. Catch up with you Thanks, soon, man. We out. See you, man. Very good stuff. There, uh, it's just great. Yeah. Okay, so um, we went a little over on time there. Not a problem. We got a lot more stuff to do. Um, I'm going to catch up with you guys in a little bit as soon as we get done here. And so let me announce something special here. Okay. If you've been listening to us this long, then you're somebody who really must like the Bad Christian Podcast. Uh, you've got, we're a minute, an hour and 20 here in, in the episode. We've got a lot more to talk about, and we'd like to do more stuff. And guess what? If you're in the BC Club, if you're a fence sitter, I would suggest you join the BC Club because we're going to record another episode as soon as we hang up here, and people in the BC Club are going to get that. Everybody that's a member of our club, uh, you can go to thebcclub.com and see what all the perks are. We've made some changes to it. But the biggest one is we're going to do an ep not just this week, but every single week, we're going to do an additional episode of this podcast that's going to be even more uh, relaxed. It's going to be us catching up, hanging out, talking about all the stuff we don't get to talk about week in and week out or during the, the the main show of the week. So I think this is a big deal, and we do expect to see a lot of people. If you're a fence sitter, if you're one of those people that's been on the fence, say, I'm going to join the club, maybe, maybe not, I don't really know, maybe this will do the trick for you. Two BC Pod episodes a week if you uh, join our club. So that's at thebcclub.com. Um, let me, uh, I want to bring in Taylor. Taylor is our, the guy that runs the BC club for us. And I promised him I'd bring him in this week. I know we're a little bit over time, so we'll make it brief, but let me see if Taylor is on standby here. Oh, T-bone. Hey, while you're getting Taylor in, let me just give some shout outs to Nathan Bowman, Sean Campbell, Ryan Beavers, Danielle Reed, Christopher Molinet, Adrian Anderson, Gabriel Cranston, James Petit, Petit. Ian Joshua Riley, Tyler Paulson, and Michael Hart, all brand new members of the BC pod. Toby, yeah. what do you have to say to them? What do you have to say to them? Say something. I love your hearts. I, yeah, I, love your, I do too. I love your hearts. It shines the, through. Yeah. It shines okay. through. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have Taylor here, but Taylor was going to give us the report. And it was going to be <laughs> something. He's not on. I told him to be here as he texted me now, but I don't know. But um, we don't got Taylor. Anyway, he says he's ready. I may try him one more time here, but... Point is, we've been working really hard to make this podcast a, a, a big deal, and the BC Club is the main way that that it works. We do advertisements too, and that works. But uh, it's the the BC Club is a very very special thing. It's a community, 
kind of thing. So it's not just about you get a, you get something to join it. Most people that that enjoy it, they stay in the BC Club because we have a, a Facebook group and we're adding a forum. And so these people really interact with each other a lot. And a special event that that we're going to do that I hope some a lot of BC Club people is we're going to do a Christmas party. And it's supposed to be on, on Saturday, December 10th. Um, there is a possibility because of a venue change that might be the 11th so i hope nobody has bought their plane tickets yet or if it, if so i hope it covers that date so we may be doing it sunday december 11th the real tickets will be on sale later this week or by next week for sure but it's going to be a big event we're going to do the podcast live joey's going to be here all of emory's going to be here we're going to play some christmas songs and as many bc artists as we can get in town um are going to play christmas songs we're going to have hors d'oeuvres uh, it's going to be a mingle party. There will be no backstage. It's just going to be, we're going to sell probably 50 tickets to people and there'll probably be 50 guests and dates and wives. It's going to be a really fun thing. I'm really excited about that. All right. Are we bringing on Taylor? Or can we get to the best part of this? Show? I'm going to try him one more time. He says it's ready. He says he's ready, but the Skype ain't working. That's just part of the part of the, nope. Sorry, Taylor. If you're watching, you're not, uh, your Skype ain't working. So we're going to catch you, catch well, you up join next us week. next week. We'll definitely have Taylor on next what week. What he was going to say was the BC club is blowing up essentially. Yeah. He was going to give us a report that I think well, Joey got pissed blowing. off and left. Well, Joey left. You know, my favorite part is, uh, what's to come. Kick the music. In a world where your best friend who's a pastor's number one goal with racism is to get people to understand his grandma ain't that bad. That's right, man. My grandma's <laughs> legit. She's the shit. Racial apologist, Joey Spencer. <laughs> my grandma ain't that bad. Right? That's what that's Joey's. Hey, my, my grandma hey. is not that bad once you described yours. <laughs> All right, true. I didn't get those lullabies. <laughs> well, I just want to tell the truth. That's what I grew up with. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I didn't. I, and you know I'm what's just strange? Telling you I didn't. It, it's funny too, though. Like, I mean, I like my best friend in elementary school was James Young, a little uh, a little black fellow who I just thought was so cool. We were great friends. Like, I didn't, it didn't latch on to me somehow. But I know that there are biases. Like what Derek was talking about. Like that, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm not. I don't want anybody to be hurt. I want everybody. Uh, my natural inclination is, uh, you know, equality and freedom for everybody. But I know that there's something. Like he, he's right. Like those little things stick with people. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the only one that their grandma sang a weird song or said something weird or used no. it. N word all stuff. It's just really crazy. And that is a real thing that people don't see. It's really crazy. In fact, Derek inspired me so much that I uh I, I looked this up because I wanted I had heard this before. So I just found this news article. So I'm gonna try and read it. But uh this comes from Toby, we we got one tonight. Cool. Well, this is the one. It's serious. Okay. So this is from CNN. And an aide says, because I've always heard this, that Nixon created the drug war basically mm -hmm. to hurt black leaders in the civil rights movement, right? Aid says Nixon's war on drugs targeted blacks and hippies. Uh, one of Richard Nixon's top advisors and a key figure in the Watergate scandal said the war on drugs was created as a political tool to fight blacks and hippies, according to a 22-year-old interview recently. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people, uh, said former Nixon domestic policy chief Gene John uh, Ehrlichman, you understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it, it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies uh, with marijuana yeah. and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them right night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. 
That, that, like, yeah. it, I mean, I really do believe, like, what a powerful tool to say, uh, oh, you know, this whole race is associated with marijuana or heroin or cocaine or whatever. It's awful. You hear, and then so that you're being manipulated by the media. The media is, in fact, being racist and biased and all the worst things mm-hmm. and telling people that it's the right way to believe because those people are dangerous. Yeah. I mean, that's so, true. That happened that in our is. history, in recent history. That's not Absolutely. that far long ago. Isn't that, I mean, that's a real news story. It's a covert. I'll tell you what, what they did was find something they had in common. So it'd be like, let's say if our right. government of the future decides, you know, who we've got to uh, really, really crack down on is uh, worship leaders. Right. Christian worship leaders. And then also uh, urban hipsters that right. you would just crack down on. You would make uh, beard oil illegal. Right. Right. You know right. what I mean? You would make yeah. the pointy mustaches illegal. And you would th- yeah. thus be able to to uh, crack down on both groups. Yep, yep. Here's what here's what's crazy too is I mean N- Nixon wouldn't be a good example uh, of this, but when you reflect on American presidency, I mean all the time one of the names that comes up as one of the best presidents is FDR. The dude was so racist, like yeah. the 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 way that he viewed people. And 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 black people and their place in society is is just it's it's unbelievable yeah. and and that's something that we we overlook so much. It's just like a oh yeah, we celebrate things in our country and we don't even know the full story. Yeah, and, well, I, it, I, and it's here's funny. what's crazy about me too is just I would say just uh, I'll be conservative and say ten years ago, but maybe even less than that. There were things that you just talked about with Richard Nixon. And, uh, you know, just his approach in, you know, targeting the black community with drugs and all that stuff. And yeah. I, I seriously would have the reaction of, I know that, j- nah, that just can't, it can't be that simple. No way. Right. It just can't be because I just didn't want to believe there was that bad of stuff from our government. I just didn't want to believe it. Yeah. It's in there. It's in the roots. I think that's what, one of the things I'm taking away from this conversation, it's in the roots. It was built in from the beginning, and now it's so subtle sometimes you don't even see it, and that subtlety is getting people killed, it's getting people not equal, it's, it's taking away jobs and all this stuff. One, one last thing I will say, Joe, it's funny you bring up Franklin Delano Roosevelt because uh, I just read an article about him. There's a new book. His wife was a lesbian. Eleanor Roosevelt had a lesbian lover named Hick. It was a nickname, something Hickman, I think, but uh, and so, and he had tons of mistresses or, and stuff, and so it's really fascinating story, an article I read. There's a book coming out about it that's really interesting so it's called eleanor eleanor and hick so anyway that's the damn news did he have a lot of mistresses post like being in a wheelchair i i think yes uh because what he had polio right i think i think he had them previous and after now you guys are history buffs i like it i don't know any of this stuff well you know when when you're smart you're smart that's really good hey some people know science some people know how our world came about yep you got it. All right. Well, that's the damn news, folks. Toby, good job, man. I love the one story deal. I love it. It's just good. <laughs> it's, it's simple. That's what to... Joey took away from it. <laughs> it was just the one story. Not the story didn't matter. Just that it was one. I get it. Okay. All right. We all for here. What are we doing? We need a benediction. Yeah. Wrap us out. Take us out of here. We're done. In heaven, the keys are playing, waiting for your entrance. <laughs> and wherever you are in life right now, know that one day you'll walk through those pearly gates and the band will play. And you will live forever. This is the Bad Christian Podcast. <laughs> okay, good episode there. Okay, so we're going to do one special thing here. 
Uh, I wanted to give you guys a preview of another podcast that we've done here on Bad Christian. You may or may not have checked it out or seen it or heard about it yet. It's called Depolarize, and it's our very good friend Dan Koch from Sherwood. Now, Dan's been on this podcast a lot, and you guys know who he is. And we're super happy to, to work with people like Dan and help create things and, you know, release this podcast together here. So Dan's part of our family is the way we think of it. So here I'm going to play you a few minutes of an episode of his podcast, uh, this here dealing with immigration specifically. But here's what here's all you got to do. You listen to it, and you decide if you like it or not. If you do, you don't have to tell me about it. Just go subscribe on iTunes. You can find it on our website, badchristian.com. The podcast is called Depolarize. Here's Dan Koch. So tell me about the culture, though, of the migrant workers. Like when you were in the camps and when you spend time with these families, like, can you give us any sort of a glimpse? Obviously, it's not your story to tell, but if you could just maybe give a few details that might give us a bit of a picture into what their life is like. As I spent time in, in these camps, just um, they've, they've improved over the years, but just very simple, um, just kind of dirt, mud throughout these basic uh, kind of like barrack structures with bunk beds uh, inside. Mm-hmm. I found that they were intact villages almost, especially from southern Mexico in the state of Oaxaca. I'd never heard of Oaxaca, O-A-X-A-C-A. Yeah. And it's almost entirely indigenous down there. So it's almost like if you can imagine one state in the United States of America being purely Native American. So this is an entirely indigenous state down there that has re- that resisted colonial rule and Spanish invasion. And so we've heard of like the Aztec language and empire, or maybe the, the Mayan empire and languages, right. but there's also the Triqui and the Mixteco and the Zapoteco. And just like in the United States, the indigenous populations are the ones that have suffered the greatest generational trauma, oppression, yeah. massacre, marginalization, and ongoing racism. So within Mexico, they are the poorest of the poor. Within Mexico's own racism, these are the poorest ones. They are, they are shorter, they are much darker skinned, and they speak a language other than Spanish. They speak Mixteco, and there's like 25 different kinds of Mixteco. They speak uh, Triqui, and that's an entirely different language. These aren't dialects. These are entirely different indigenous language groups and tribes. Jeez. So these folks are the poorest of the poor within Mexico. And then as the Mexican economy has become worse and worse for reasons we can get into if it makes sense later. These are the people that are in dire straits and the most desperate to find a way to move north towards the U.S. border and risk their lives, abandon their family and and, and culture and land to try to find something of an economic future to send back home and maybe build one more concrete block house for the grandmother to live in. So I'd be going through these camps, learning a largely tricky uh, population. I, I spent a lot of time with a family that was um, part of this larger tricky pueblo, and a whole—it's like the whole pueblo left. It's like they're ref- economic refugees. There was no violent persecutor, other than it's like an economic drought. There's no economy in the high mountains of Oaxaca, so their entire pueblo, one person or family at a time, crossed the border, and they've accumulated up here, and they stuck together in this one camp. And they'd pick strawberries all day from dawn till about three or four in the afternoon. And with their hands just stained red, like blood red hands, hanging their laundry in the afternoons, making simple caldos and and hot soups, I'd spend time hearing their stories. And they'd tell me about their village they missed very much back home. That sounds like the kind of experience that 
you can't really have and walk away unchanged. So spending time with that group of people at that point in your life, just looking back on the camp's experience, just, you know, solo that out as a, just that particular experience. What, what's changed in your view of things having had that experience? It's hard to remember. I mean, so much has changed over the years, but uh, I was, I was so humbled to be around such poverty just right here in our own valley, these, these labor camps that were hidden just three or four miles away when you just drive off the beaten path and drive down a two-lane road bending around the beautiful long rows of raspberries, and then it looks like a mini Dachau. Um, and you've got these folks mm. walking across you know, dirt courtyards in their flip-flops to like a public shower. Um, and to, to hear them talk, miss as they live in these barracks – miss their, their, their Pueblo back home and to have them show me such hospitality. Yeah. They could have said, this is our territory. What are you doing here? It's not like I came with a program offering free clothes or something, but I was just a dorky white wannabe activist chaplain making friends and they'd invite me in and their kids would hug my knees and they'd, they'd make me soups and hand me tortillas. And, um, they'd ask me about my families and they remembered my name. And eventually I, I started, I traveled down to Southern Mexico and I, and I, I met up with um, family members of theirs and went through their villages that were just ghost towns. There were only tiny children's children's tiny children, uh, <laughs> uh, stray dogs, and very old people. Basically, anyone yeah. who wasn't to cross the border. Because there's there's no work there. Nothing. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's transition to a little bit of history. So you have through these experiences, you've had to, or you've chosen to learn a lot about the history of immigration in America, which is it? Uh, a little bit of both. I came learning through this organization, Tiranueva, that has been a, a, one of its functions, not only being chaplains and a, and a, and a hospital, hospi- hospitable presence among the alien and the, the outsider, the stranger, which is a, a biblical ethic for us as a, as a community of faith, is that one of the biggest emphases throughout scripture is One's the moral fiber of a community in the Bible is judged by how they receive the stranger and the foreigner and the outsider. Yeah. And it's really important to know about the Bracero program as, I mean, the history goes even further back than that about who drew the border where. But just in our last century, in World War II, as I understand it, farms had a real labor problem when we sent everyone into the great wars of, of Europe. And so for American farms to continue, not only did we rely upon some of the women to keep factories going, but we started something called the Bracero program. And that just means like the uh, Bracero, like, like arms, like the, we, we like hired guns, hired arms. We made a policy so that Mexicans could come up and help us pick our, our crops. Very similar States. to what was going on with that local produce company when the current workers were striking. It's like a larger scale thing. Yeah, like basically us saying, we need you. We need people in Mexico to come up here, please. Hmm. We'll pay you, and it's temporary. You're not citizens, and then we would like you to go home afterwards. But what we did is is we created a, a bi-national generation of people that came up here, and that much of their economy, their home, their culture, the sense of identity, were thousands of Mexican families coming up and doing American labor work. Yeah, that's that's their skill. That's their trade. And that's the economy that comes home and feeds into their villages back in Mexico. Is it specifically Mexico or is it also other countries? 
Uh, I'm not sure if the Brasero program included Central America. But this is the beginning of the very common relationship between the U.S. and Mexico of of migrant and farm workers. We initiated this out of our own need. Okay. And so it's good for us to know with with immigration things. We're not saying, hey, we have – we're trying to keep these people out and they keep just invading and stealing our jobs. And they always have been, right? That's the one way of thinking of it. Right. The the history of of this – kind of binational flow of Mexican-Americans living on both sides of the borders was initiated in a very large policy where our economy depended upon it. Wow. So I just want to, because this is a non-polarizing podcast, I, I want to note one thought that I have that comes to mind on, you could call it the conservative end, which is to say that even if, say, the United States initiated the current pattern of migrant work, that's not a sufficient argument that it should continue to do whatever it did then or that it's necessarily morally good for it to continue, which I think you would agree. Yeah, just to, just to note, note the origins isn't, doesn't solve everything. It doesn't solve everything, but it is good to know the origins. And so if we are going to say if – we, if we want to make an argument of like immigration needs to stop, we should not delude ourselves that – it should stop because it's some unnatural thing. It is, in fact, the way huge portions of our economy were built. And so actually, if you're going to make a conservative argument that it should stop, then part of your plan needs to be in what way can our current economy keep going? I think that's maybe the takeaway for someone who's coming from the other side of this debate. De- certainly our agricultural economy. Yeah. Um, but even our service economy, how much of our economy today still depends on there being a largely disposable, uh, vulnerable, unorganized and willing to pay for very little yeah. uh, labor class. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really love the scene about uh, depolarize where neither side takes a really angry, self-righteous stance and to create a straw man out of the other and to be yeah. like, what fool or idiot or moral, morally vacuous person would believe this? One of the things that I really sympathize with when I hear people talk about immigration issues is, of course, it makes sense to have a desire for boundaries. I teach boundaries a lot. Yeah. Um, I need to work on my own boundaries of saying, hey, here's a line, and I want to support this line of people coming too far into my private life. I lock the door in the evenings. And I think that's a healthy and entirely natural impulse for us to say, hey, here's the line. Yeah. And we need to be able to maintain our boundaries, which is synonymous for border. So on on that sense, I don't think there's anything inherently xenophobic or 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 bigoted to want us to begin the conversation about if we have borders, uh, what good are they if if they don't work? Yeah. Right. Well, actually, and I'd like to I want to even do do the conservative side, for lack of a better term, one better. It's not just that borders are analogous to personal space, but even liberal social philosophers like John Rawls will say things like, you know, a liberal argument for a strong safety net is, hey, everyone in this nation is taking part in this entire process and the whole thing is reliant on everybody else. I find that argument pretty persuasive personally, but that Mm -hmm. argument assumes some sort of a national border. You can't make that argument, say, about Ethiopians, right? It's not true Mm -hmm. that the American system is is based on Ethiopians. Within Rawls's argument, 
the people who are living in America and working to support certain industries, they probably would fall under that delineation. And so borders, borders have a philosophical value too, I'm saying, not just sort of an, an analogical value. Right. And so oftentimes when folks talk about, look, we need some kind of rule of law, we need to be able to defend our territory. And if people want to come in, they should come in the legal way. Oftentimes the first thing I would want to speak to in this conversation is the push factor, the, the, the incredible poverty hmm. in Mexico while, while people are, are are trying and risking life and limb and yeah. taking out $12,000 loans through their relational networks to pay a coyote. It's now between eight and $12,000 to pay one person to try to cross you through the desert at night. Man. Why are they spending this much money? Yeah. How, what kind of an economic wasteland is there that's going on? And, and secondly, I'll talk about how much we need it, you know, starting with the Bracero program, that's the history of it, and how much the economy de- depends on it today. I believe that's why immigration uh, reform has not happened. This is just me personally, hmm. not because of just uh, of, of liberal defenders wanting to be nice to immigrants, but because I believe most of the business sector in America, it's the big secret that they just don't say out loud, but most people know, is that most businesses depend on undocumented labor. If you did not, if you either gave them permission then they to be here, then they could organize, then they wouldn't want to do this suffering backbreaking work, and then the businesses would suffer because they'd have to pay more, or they would just lose this expense class. So I believe there's not been immigration reform because it works perfectly for American industry. been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.